Hey everyone, it's Kevin O'Connor. AKA Kevin O'Bomber. AKA Kevin O'Concert. Kevin! Wait a minute, you're not Chris Vernon. No, Kevin. Sadly, I'm not as cherubic or as raspy as Verno, but it is I, J. Kyle Mann. And folks, basketball has been and continues to be so very good. That's exactly why Kyle and I are hosting a brand new basketball show on a brand new podcast feed, The Ringer's NBA Draft Show. We're going to have you covered every week as we go in-depth and deep dive in hopes of answering an ever-important question in the NBA. Who's got next? Whether it's an international phenom like Victor Wimbanyama or the G League Scoot Henderson or stars from Overtime Elite like Amen Thompson, as well as a full-blown swarm of talented prospects from the promising 2023 NBA draft class. For sure, Kyle. And we're also going to get into players from the college ranks because this is a loaded class for us to discuss prospects rising and falling. And we're going to revisit and redraft recent draft classes and get into how the league's evolution could help inform what's valuable in a prospect of the future. This is a podcast for a fan of every team, whether you're losing and have high draft lottery odds or you're looking for sleepers later in the draft. We're going to be covering everything in the months to come, so please make sure you follow and subscribe to the Ringer NBA Draft Show. And hit us with those five-star ratings. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome into Power Rankers. Jason Goff, MIA today. I think he lost his voice over the weekend. Not sure if he was cheering on that Chicago Bears game watching Justin Fields set records, but we will see. Stepping in for him is not James Jones. It's someone better, someone I like to call a friend, an even better analyst. It's Steve Ruiz for the entire podcast. How excited are you? I'm very excited. It sounds like Jason was scared to compete. I got accused of being scared to compete last week. At least I show up every week. I say this every single time he misses a show, which is now twice. He's just hes just not a competitor. He's not willing to rise to the occasion. I lose my voice, I find a way. I'll just say that. Um, updates on the weekend. I did have a eventful weekend. Went to a handful. I won't, No free ads on the podcast. Went to a handful of really good restaurants in LA. But I also went to, I guess this is a free ad, the season debut for the G League South Bay Lakers. Incredible stuff. It was $40 for a front row, like on the court ticket. And That's I watched so good. Scotty, P- Scotty Pippen's son just ball out. They have a second round pick at a Michigan state, Max Christie ball out. I would firmly recommend if you're in the LA area, try out the G league. I think the G league has stuff to you know re- really offer. Scotty Pippen, speaking of Chicagoans who uh, let a little ailment get in the way of them going on out on the court. Another famous example. Wow. Jason Goff getting compared to Scotty Pippen Sr. The funniest thing, Scotty Pippen, Scotty Pippen Sr. was there across the way. Um, 
there, Scottie Pippen Jr. could have done a 360 windmill dunk. This guy did not care. He looks like he hated <laughs> being there. I was like watching his reactions to every single time his son did anything. Legitimately could not care less. It was uh, it was hard to see, man. It was hard to impress Scottie Pippen Sr. Uh, in the G League debut, or I, I guess season debut for the South Bay Lakers. I was going to say you didn't have the same experience you did. The $40 experience no. wasn't the, quite the same. Didn't get no. the bang for uh, his buck. I caught two shirts. Two shirts. Uh, that was uh, it was a big day. Anyway, let's talk some some football. It's been quite the season for uh, parity in this league. Teasers are no longer hitting. You know, the good teams are winning games, losing games. The bad teams are winning games. No one knows what to do. But I, I am excited to say, for the first time, I think this year, the New York Jets are my team of the week on this podcast. I normally do this segment with Jason. I'm doing it with you. The New York Jets are my team of the week. They beat the Buffalo Bills. If you can't make the New York Jets. The team of the week, when they beat the Buffalo Bills, why not make them, uh, you know, what's what's the point of this season? Now, they're still plus 112, according to FanDuel, to make the postseason. That I find surprising, even though they have six wins on the season. Your reaction to the Jets winning this game, beating the Buffalo Bills, I don't think it was fluky necessarily. I do think that the interceptions from Josh Allen, both of them really um, were awful, and, and and silliness would be a good word to describe them. But like the New York Jets offensively were running the football. They had a game plan for Zach Wilson that I don't think we've seen before that actually worked. And defensively, I think this defense is legit. I think Robert Sala is legit in manufacturing a good defense against what obviously is one of the best offenses in the NFL. Your reaction to this Jets win over Buffalo, and I have them at number 13 in my power rankings. I'm sure Jets fans want them top five. I'm sure Jets fans want them ahead of the Bills because head-to-head matchups matter in power rankings, of course. Where are you at with the Jets, your reaction to this win, and also looking at them at number 13 on my power rankings? I think 13 makes sense, and I think them being team of the week is deserved. And I would agree with you. I don't think it was that fluky. And even the the Allen interceptions, I thought, were the result of early pressure in the game. The defensive line just dominated that matchup. And you could see it start to affect Allen. I think that's what kind of forced him into those two interceptions, which were so, so bad, man. They were so bad. But uh, I, I really like this team around the quarterback. Like, LaFleur is doing an excellent job. He out-schemed Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, which is like no easy task. And then he has these players just flying around to the football. These linebackers are just missiles against the run and against like the short stuff. The defensive line is good. Like, they have... Depth on the uh, the line too. the The secondary is good. Sauce Gardner is already a top twenty defender for me. Just a complete player. I love this team outside of the quarterback. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into that. I will say to focus in on the quarterback because that does matter, right? Zach Wilson has finished a game with a positive EPA per dropback just twice this season. Sunday was one of those games, but I think a more a, a stat more indicative of what exactly happened and how this offense looked different was his average time to throw in this game was two point one seven seconds. Now, a lot of these stats that I throw out, people are like, I don't really care. You, you mentioned a lot of decimals. You kind of throw me off. 2.17 seconds is a half second faster than any game he's ever played in before. And it was obvious going into this game, they wanted to run more quick game. They wanted to get the ball out of his hands to limit when he's scrambling out of, you know, scrambling out of pressure, trying to extend plays and trying to throw the ball away and throwing a pick or like throwing it into quadruple coverage down the football field. They said, hey, Get to your drop and throw the football. And it worked, right? 18 of 25, 154 yards and a touchdown. There was that like interception that was like tie goes to the runner uh, uh, to the tight end. But honestly, there were were a few plays where you saw him scrambling out of the pocket and you make some throws that you did not like to see. But there was also him running the football more decisively in this game. I thought this game plan for Zach Wilson was far and away 
the best we've seen for him. And honestly, more of this. We need more of this. His average time to throw this season is the slowest in the NFL. That is a recipe for disaster and has been disaster all season. If we can get more game plans from LaFleur and more games like this from Zach Wilson, he won't do this. Lose games for them with three, four, five turnovers, right? You look at the, the, the fumble in this game. That was him holding on to the football, him trying to make a play, didn't see the pressure from behind, loses the football from Von Miller uh, on the strip sack. Like, if you can get to his drop and throw the football, this Jets team, because of that defense, because of that defensive line, Sauce Gardner, favorite twin defensive rookie of the year for good reason, this is a playoff team. They're not an obvious playoff team yet, even though they have six wins on the season. Cincinnati Bengals have better odds to make the playoffs than New York Jets. I think that AFC wild card is going to be hotly contested between the Dolphins, the Chargers, the Jets, the Patriots, the Bengals. You're arguably going to have five teams competing for those last three spots. So Jets, not an obvious, obvious playoff contender right now, but I want to see more game plans like this, right? Let's talk positively on this game plan offensively around Zach Wilson. Yeah, I agree with you. It was RPO, quick game, and very little drop back. Like I, I only counted like three or four when I watched the game. And I think he only had two attempts, three attempts over 10 air yards. There was the seam route to Garrett Wilson, which was, was not a good throw. It, Garrett Wilson was wide open. The middle of the field was wide open. He put it on his back shoulder for some reason. And then he did have a nice uh, throw to Wilson. I think again, off play action, that was a good throw, but I think it was another example of LaFleur designing plays to get the ball out of his hands quickly, which we usually don't see on play action throws down the field, but this was like a quick glance, one read, and it was open, and he threw it. It was the best throw that he's made in a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, the game plan is good, and I, I my only concern is how sustainable is that plan? Because it was very... They they honed in on a couple of concepts and uh, like the, just the quick game and the RPO stuff. And I think when a defense starts to sit on that, that's when uh, Zach Wilson is going to have to make a play. And it remains to be seen if he's capable of making those plays. Well, I'll argue this. I don't think it is sustainable. I mean, they only scored 20 points and they probably they could have lost that game if Josh Allen doesn't throw two boneheaded interceptions, right? I think, yeah, right. I think it's more that it's not it's more that it's not disastrous, right? It protects Zach Wilson behind a bad offensive line. I already lost Elijah Vera Tucker for the season. His EPA per dropback win pressure this season is negative 0.93. It's the worst in the NFL by a significant margin. His EPA per dropback when not pressured, which oftentimes involves getting the ball out quickly so you aren't pressured, is top five in the NFL. That's LaFleur. That's the offense. That's scheming clean pockets for Zach Wilson to not make mistakes. That has to be the game plan. Now, is it sustainable? Can they score more than 20 points? with this type of style offense? Maybe, I don't know. I thought the run game looked good even without Brees Hall. But man, it's a lot better than the other thing. It's a lot better than asking <laughs> him to do, you know, it's a lot better than asking him to be the guy and, and navigate pressure and extend plays and all those things. He's just not there yet. He's not there, and that's fine. It's fine. He was there at BYU and he had a really good offensive line at BYU. He was there. He's not there yet. Let's call some quick game. Let's call, call some quick hitches and just get the ball out and see if we can not lose the game with our quarterback under center. And that's exactly what happened. And then you have, obviously, the New York Jets defense stepping up, Ahmad Gardner, DJ Reed stepping up. And I will say this, too. Obviously, the early pressure affected those Josh Allen throws. The first interception was laziness. Like, like he legitimately had yeah, an open receiver, yeah. and he just kind of floated it. Like, I, you could say that was pressure, but honestly, he was just like, yeah, he's open. And then just like he wasn't. Like, I, I don't know. Some of this, Josh Allen, in my opinion, because he's an alien, can sometimes let off the gas and you see like some of the some of these like silly interceptions that are dropping his EPA per drop back, but no one's dropping them from the you know the tops of the league. Just removing some of that from his game. I thought he summed it up perfectly. He's like, it's hard to win games when your quarterback plays like shit. He played like shit. Like, yeah, he did. You, you missed some throws, you threw some picks. That's that's gonna happen. He has those plays where you could see the hamster running on the wheel in his head. Or like like <laughs> the monkey with the symbols. 
<laughs> he has one of those yes. things going on in his head. And like he offsets it with all the, the good stuff. And, but it, it's frustrating when you see that. I thought that it was gone after the first month because we saw none of that really. Like in the Dolphins game, there was a little bit of it, but that was a weird game where he's on the field for like 90 plays. But that I when I put him at QB1 in my rankings, it was because I thought those plays were gone for the most part. Mm-hmm. They cro- they popped back up the, the last two weeks, and it's a little concerning. A little. I, I think it's concerning. I also think it's volatile, right? Like I think yeah, that it is. That kind of silliness is not something you need to like work out of Josh Allen as much as it is like he just needs to stay locked in for sixty minutes. Stay locked like against the you know in, in the previous week they were up so much that I think you saw him let off the gas pedal. I think you're going against the Jets. You're going in the red zone. You felt like that game was already in control, and you're letting off the gas pedal already as well. But moving off the Jets, who are number thirteen in my power rankings, I know Jets fans want them top five. I I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I'm waiting to see how sustainable this offense is, like you know you're, you're saying, Stephen, and and how much they they can continue to beat beat up on good football teams. They're still not even minus money to make the playoffs because there's market doubt in the quarterback situation. There's market doubt in the offense. Biggest mover. I- I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox here. Indianapolis Colts, man, moving down, down. And the Ringer NFL podcast feed has covered this at length. Slow News Day with Kevin Clark and Lindsey Jones has covered this at length. Bill Simmons has covered this at length. Everyone is talking about the Indianapolis Colts because they're doing something absurd. Absolutely absurd. First time in NFL history, a coach with no experience is being named interim head coach. Jim Ursay called up his buddy and what I'm sure was initially a conversation where he wasn't naming him the head coach, but over, over time, over maybe a couple drinks, he's like, you know what? What if we just named you the interim head coach? Then Jeff Saturday, his friend, becomes the head coach. Now, this is, this is the problem, all right? Frank White gets fired a week after they fired Marcus Brady, a week after they bench Matt Ryan. It was obvious that Jim Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, was like, I don't want to lose any more games. No more games. I do not want to lose any more games. We need to change something. I do not think Frank Reich or Marcus Brady made the decision to bench Matt Ryan. I think that was Ursay. I don't think Frank Reich made the decision to fire Marcus Brady. I think that was Ursay. And obviously, it was Ursay that fired Frank Reich. Now, Ursay's saying, I'm going to do it myself. And I'm going to go hire one of my friends, one of my close confidants, a guy who's working for ESPN and Jeff Saturday to be the interim head coach because I know this guy and he's a friend of mine. Anyone, anyone talking about this in any other way of not absurdity like saying this is oh man like i like the zig to the zag i think this could be a good it's ridiculous <laughs> this guy has never this guy has never coached in the nfl and i think bill barnwell summed it up perfectly bill barnwell uh, a writer for espn by all accounts obviously a colleague of jeff saturday's jeff saturday is a very nice capable person i hope he does well in indianapolis this hiring also a reminder that the arbitrary experience roadblocks put up in front of minority candidates are nonsense and there are people in this world, who are like, why does it always have to be like that? Why do you always got to make it a race thing? It is a race thing. <laughs> right. It's a race thing every single time. Why do we always got to make it like that? Because it's fucking disastrous. We're not making it about this enough. There are, there are people in this league who hire people that either have their same last name or they enjoy having a beer with. And we see that every single time. That is not the surprise. The problem is, is when minority candidates like Eric Bieniemy, Marcus Brady, others are coming up. They put up these roadblocks like, well, he's never called plays or he's never coached a playoff game. Jeff, Jeff Saturday was coaching high school football and play, you know, co- calling things for ESPN. And Ursa is like, I kind of like him. Like, that's ridiculous. There was a yes. former legend coaching on this team already in Reggie Wayne that was passed off for Jeff Saturday, who is not coached. He, he, was, he was shocked. The quote in the press conference, you can pick your favorite one. Ursa is saying he doesn't know how to make sausage <laughs> or what's in sausage. Ursa is saying he's in the upper quartile of the upper quartile. My favorite, Jeff Saturday, when asked, you know what, what he thought when he was off. Shocked would be an understatement. No shit. You're, you've never coached the NFL. Of course you're going to be shocked. I, I just can't believe this, man. I, I'm so upset. 
I'm so upset at anyone that looks at this in any other way than Jeff Ursay, the owner of the Colts, getting really upset and doing whatever the hell he wants, which happens way more in this league than people want to give credit to. People hire their friends in this league. Steve Belichick works for the Patriots because the coach is Bill Belichick. You know, like you, you, you have you have yes. nepotism in this league, and then beyond nepotism, it's who do I like to have a beer with? Who did I meet at the combine that one time that stayed with me out till two a.m. at prime? Like this is a nepotistic, favorable league that only hires and benefits its friends. You have to grind, absolutely grind your way to the top if you don't know someone or have the same last name as someone in power. And it makes me so upset that when these things happen, there is this zig to the zag mentality of people saying, "Oh man, I I, I don't know. It doesn't always have to be a race thing. He could be good. Just shut the fuck up. This yes. is always a race Thank thing. You. It's always a race thing. It's always a nepotism." Thing. Sorry to get so upset about it, but like I just can't believe it. No, no, I I think all of your points are valid, and it, like don't give Jim Ursay the zig when everyone else is zagging benefit of the doubt. That man does not know even know what people are doing to zig. How can he come up with the zag? Like he has no <laughs> idea what is going on. I it, it's just ridiculous. And like you said, Eric Bieniemy is the perfect example. Uh, that was the thing. He never called plays. He doesn't call plays. Like he doesn't call plays. He has Patrick Mahomes. Uh, who's the uh, what was the the high school that Jeff Saturday's coaching? Who's his quarterback? Maybe he's like the Patrick Mahomes no of that district. We don't even know. You don't even know Jeff Saturday's record. You don't. Ah, it's it is frustrating. It's so frustrating. And everything you just said, like my take, would just be a, a carbon copy of that. I think that again, like Bill Barnwell, like I hope. Jeff, Sat- Jeff Saturday is a nice, capable person. I hope he does well in Indianapolis. This is not about him. And I've mentioned this before about it's not on Steve Belichick, Jeff Saturday. Shanahan's son and future sons. It's not about them getting the opportunities. It's when you get those opportunities, doing right by those opportunities and acting beyond nepotism and acting beyond favoritism of people that you know. Like you have to rise to the occasion when given this opportunity. You have to hope you see that. But when you are in a person of power making hiring decisions that objectively affect the futures of so many people, do it for, do it without just saying who's my best friend, you know, yeah. just, just, who or looks who's like my me. son, who's exactly. I just wish I just wish it was a little bit more thought out than that. And if you watch that press conference from a content perspective, elite, but from a everything else seriousness perspective, you're just like, yeah, these guys weren't prepared. They moved the press conference from six, I think, to six thirty, six thirty to seven thirty, seven thirty to eight because they weren't prepared. They were like Jeff Saturday, what are you going to say? He's like, I don't fucking know. What are you going to like? This is. It's a disaster. And I think Ben Solak on this podcast called it embarrassing. It is embarrassing. And the worst thing about it, the worst thing about it, and I say this every single time a decision like this happens where minority coaches are overlooked and all this stuff, is it's not freaking shocking. This is not a surprise by any means. Scroll Jim Ursay's Twitter feed once. You're going to be surprised that he made a freaking insane, irrational decision like this. Not me. So uh, the Indianapolis Colts on the football field, I think Sam Ellinger has looked really, really bad. The offense has looked like they just fired their offensive coordinator. The the coach looks like he's like coaching for his job. There's not a lot of reason for optimism on the football for Indianapolis. And when you look at what the decisions are making from the front office and bringing in Jeff Saturday, yes, this could be an ejection of life and, and, and Saturday might run the ball 50 times and you could see players rallying around Jeff Saturday. It still looks a lot like short-term decision-making for a team that needs a long-term plan to actually get out of this rebuild. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if there's much more else to say. It's not going to get better. I know that because Frank Reich is a good coach. Firing him is not going to solve the problem, which I think is a front office problem that's been festering for a couple of years now. And it's not like Chris Ballard has hid his intentions or like hid his motivations for not drafting a quarterback. Like he is on record saying the moment I draft one and he doesn't perform well, I'm out of here. 
he's he's been in job preservation mode since he's got into the building and it's held this team back. There is a lot of ta- there is some talent that he brought in and he deserves credit for that. But when you're a GM, you make your name by taking those big swings and finding foundational players, including the quarterback position. He hasn't even attempted to do that. Like, I don't care about what goes on on the field from here on out. This organization is aimless right now. I'll, I'll say this. And the last thing on the topic, because I want to talk Cincinnati Bengals. I want to talk Cardinals, Bears. I got some other teams I want to bring up. But Chris Ballard, and, and Solak brought this up too, how you know the number one thing you have to do as a GM is keep your job, which is not always in line with building a Super Bowl contender. And I think what I'll say, what I often say is, we overrate how much general managers specifically, and even head coaches at times, want to be Super Bowl competitive more than they want to keep their jobs, right? And I think when you hear Ursay talk about Ballard in that press conference, he's like, Ballard's a winner. Whatever Ballard's cooking behind the scenes on like, maybe it's drafting players that are all pros that uh, you know, Ursay is grading him on. Like, oh, I like Shaquille Leonard. I like Quentin Nelson. Jonathan Taylor's a monster. Ballard's a winner. Ballard's a winner. We turned Braden Smith into a right tackle. Ballard's a winner. If, if Ballard's recognizing where he's getting incentivized in terms of where he's picking, and it's winning, and you, you are at a point now where the Indianapolis Colts are one of the most rudderless teams in the NFL, and you're still being called a winner as the GM, you got to keep doing it, right? Like, I mean, keeping your job starts with impressing Ursay. And if Ursay likes you picking good, low-value positions every single year, like a Shaq Leonard, like a Quentin Nelson, like these other guys, Jonathan Taylor, then you keep doing it, right? There's, there's no incentive for Ballard to, like, take a risk. You know, if, if Ursay likes a guy or he thinks this guy's going to be an all-pro, and, like, that, again, is just something that we underrate as analysts sometimes or even as fans is that Ballard's trying to win a Super Bowl. Ballard's trying to make sure Ursay doesn't just fucking fire his ass out of the gate. Like, literally call, call up some other famous Colt like, and be the new GM. Like, that can happen. That can happen if you're not on Ursay's good side. It's just a crazy, Mike Vanderjack. crazy thing to think about. Mike Vanderjack, <laughs> GM. Dude, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be Dallas Clark or, 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 or Klecko, like Dan Klecko, or somebody's going to come in and just steal Ballard's Austin job Colley. because Ursay had a Austin good Austin Collie, GM. <laughs> All right. Off of the biggest mover, the Indianapolis Colts are number 28 in my power rankings, and they might be lower, right? It was hard to put them behind the Panthers. It's hard to put them behind uh, the Detroit Lions, the Houston Texans. But man, one of the worst teams in football. And when you look at their outlook, you have to be concerned. You have to be concerned with the future of the Indianapolis Colts. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. The next segment, your favorite. The I don't know what I'm doing segment. Because I don't know where to rank these teams, but I think they're okay. Cincinnati Bengals is the first one. Cincinnati Bengals, after an embarrassing loss to the Cleveland Browns, Monday Night Football, Ted Karras, the center or, or interior offensive lineman for the Cincinnati Bengals, said, we got to flush this one. Short week get to a winning record before the bye. They did exactly that, right? It was an embarrassing loss against the Cleveland Browns. They get out 35-0 against the Carolina Panthers at the half. The Bengals had three more points than the Panthers had yards. I think 
Uh, P.J. Walker, the starter for the Carolina Panthers, completed three passes for nine yards and had two picks. Like, it was a disastrous performance by the Carolina Panthers, but also a much-needed dominant performance for the Cincinnati Bengals. I thought in this game specifically, they tried to recommit to an under-center running game. They had some 6 lineman personnel that I thought looked, worked pretty nicely. Joe Mixon looked really good. They were in the passing game not doing a ton of things differently. Less throws behind the line of scrimmage, but you saw him targeting more one-on-ones down the field with Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. This Cincinnati Bengals team against one of the worst teams in the NFL proved they can still be dominant. They're now minus 122 to make the playoffs at 5-4, and four, going into the Week 10 bye. I have them as the 10th best team in the NFL, but how trustworthy is this team with one of the hardest strength of schedules to, make, you know, to finish the year? They face the Steelers, one of the worst teams, that's okay. Titans, Chiefs, Browns, Buccaneers, Patriots, Bills, and Ravens. One of the hardest schedules remaining. Do you see this team as a playoff team? Is 10 too high? We just uh, submitted our second half picks and I had the, I actually like when I went through the games and picked them all, I didn't have the Bengals making the playoffs. I had the Patriots and I I took that into my own hands and made the switch. I I believe they're going to make the playoffs because I do think, I think the schedule looks hard on paper, but I think they match up well with a lot of those teams. And the bar isn't that high for the AFC making the wild card. Like the chargers are a mess right now. I don't trust the jets because of the quarterback. I think, I think they, they have a margin for error, even given that schedule. I think they still have a margin for error, but I think there's like two different teams. We're seeing it. We're seeing when they get the defensive looks that we know they could shred, that they shred last year. This is what they look like. We saw it against Atlanta. Atlanta did not do the things that all of the other defenses that have had success against this team have done. And the Panthers, like, the game plan, just naive. They came out and played man coverage. You do not have the dudes to play man coverage, even without Jamar Chase. I get that he wasn't in the game, but T. Higgins is still very good. Tyler Boyd is still very good. And Burrow just killed them in man coverage over the first uh, half. I think he was like one EPA per dropback or something crazy like that on, on seven dropbacks. And then the Panthers didn't play it in the second half. But I, I don't understand how you come out with that game plan. But for the Bengals, I think they still have to prove it. The good news is they have this hard schedule. They're not only going to have a chance to prove it against better competition, but I think it's going to act as kind of like a a lab for them where they can continue to find new ways to beat these coverages that have given them problems. I think there's just too much talent for them not to figure it out. Like Joe Burrow is too good. He's too smart. The receivers are too good. I don't think the offensive line is that bad. Zach Taylor, I, I, I... I'm hard on Zach Taylor. I don't think he's a great coach, but I think if you give him enough time, he'll eventually figure things out. So I'm still high on this team, relatively speaking. I I think they're a wild card team. I just don't see them going beyond that. I honestly think that the Cincinnati Bengals, for that last wild card spot in the AFC, I'm throwing out the Patriots. Mac Jones is one of the worst quarterbacks. People bring up that Colts-Patriots game, like, wow, the Colts, and I just went on this whole freaking rant about the Colts. Sam Ellinger looked awful. Go watch Mac Jones in that game. <laughs> like, he also looks terrible. Like, Mac Jones yes. is, like, struggling to move that football down the field. And every single long third down, if they're asking him to push it beyond the sticks, it's a nightmare. If they're asking him to run, throw a quick screen or, or do something behind, you know, short of the sticks, it's showing that they're trying to put training wheels on him to avoid disaster. Like, Mac Jones did not play well in that football game. He has not played well all year. I'm not buying the Patriots as that last AFC seed. I think it's going to be between the Bengals and Jets. I think it's, you know, the, the two other wildcard teams would be the Dolphins and Chargers because obviously the Chiefs win the AFC West and I think the Bills win the AFC East. And I think the Dolphins and Chargers are in and then it's going to be between the Bengals and Jets, whoever has the better record, and then the Bengals have the tiebreaker, right? They have the head-to-head tiebreaker over the New York Jets. They won that game in week three. So I do think the Cincinnati Bengals sneak in 
in the final hour, I don't see them being a deep postseason contenders, but I do think they're ultimately a playoff team. You're sleeping you're right, on Bill, man. Talented. You're sleeping on Bill. You think I'm sleeping on Bill? I'm sleeping on Bill. Oh, man, that's always scary. That's always scary. I never want to sleep, sleep on, on Bill. Bill, man. All right. All right. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Next team, the I don't know what I'm doing team. And this one is maybe I'm too low. The Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> so the Arizona Cardinals are number 23. And I write the power rankings every single week. And every single week, I try and like tie my hands behind my back and not just completely roast Cliff Kingsbury. But it's hard not to. Cliff Kingsbury, this past week, after losing, as a two-point favorite at home over the Seattle Seahawks, he, lo- he loses. He- he's- his record as an NFL head coach falls to 27 and 30. He- his home record dropped to 10, 18, and 1. Only the Lions, Panthers, Jaguars, Commanders, and Texans have fewer wins at home since Cliff took over in 2019. The Cardinals' offense has never ranked top 10 in EPA per play since Kingsbury took over. His offense in the Power 5, when he was at Texas Tech, did not rank inside the top 20 in EPA per play before he had Pat, until, um, until he had Patrick Mahomes a couple years ago, like 2015 or whenever it was. Like This team has really struggled in the area that Cliff needs to have success. That's building an offense that is one of the best in the league. And it just hasn't been that. This year, the offense ranks 20th in EPA per play. It's the worst since Cliff Kingsbury has taken over. Yes, Kyler Murray is some of that. I don't think he's completely absolved from blame. You saw the fumble in this one. That was a great play by Ryan Neal, but still. I just don't know, even with the contract extension, I just don't know how the Arizona Cardinals missed the playoffs again, where the offense is an obvious weakness again, how they continue with Cliff Kingsbury. Am I wrong to say the Arizona Cardinals are the 23rd ranked team in the NFL? And am I wrong to say that Cliff has to be out at the end of the season? I know how that's going to happen, how he's going to come back. What's the name of this uh, this segment again? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that's the Cardinals with every decision they make. So yeah, he's going to be back. Uh, I, I think you are a little too low. I think their ceiling is a little higher week to week. Just now that they have D-Hop back, I think that changes things. I still agree with every point you've made. I think Cliff is not... I Here's my my take on Cliff. I think he was better than he was given credit for when he first got hired. Like it was seen as like this, this just awful, inexplicable hire. I think like he's proven that he's not an NFL head coach, but I think he could make it like as a, a a mediocre offensive coordinator at the pro level. I think he could be an elite run game coordinator. I think the run game is still very fun. Well-designed. It's just that one, he doesn't design the passing game. Well, I don't think he understands pass protections well. That's why we've seen like this drastic split between when they have Rodney Hudson out there and when he's not out there. It's because that's a professional center taking control of the protections. And when he's not out there and you have Kyler Murray kind of taking control of it, it doesn't work out as well, obviously. I do think that Kyler Murray kind of like makes this offense look worse than it is at times. And I think that this offense makes Kyler Murray look worse than he is at this. I think it's just like a toxic yes. relationship that needs to be split up. The Cardinals are not going to recognize that though. The, the issue that I, I think the reason I don't know if the Arizona Cardinals will ultimately move on from Kingsbury after this year is that again, he has an excuse that, okay, for the first six games of the season, we didn't have DeAndre Hopkins and you know that, that really limited the offense, whatever. And the excuse, again, is that he signed a seven-year contract extension with Steve Kime this offseason. And I know I've talked poorly on Steve Kime. You know, he's been with the Arizona Cardinals since 1994, and I don't think he's done enough to still be there. But are you going to give Steve Kime another opportunity to hire another head coach? I don't know. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I, I, the Arizona Cardinals, I think I've seen multiple tweets over the last few weeks. Is like, can someone explain the Arizona Cardinals? I can't. That's why they're in this, this segment. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do. 
I think that Cliff Kingsbury makes Kyler Murray worse. I think Kyler Murray is also some of the issue, but also just isn't thriving within this offense. And from a talent-building standpoint, I don't think that Steve Kime has done enough with the resources given to build a top-flight roster. Like, I think that he's spent too much resources off-ball linebacker in Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons. I know Zayvon Collins had the pick six this week, but whatever. I think Zach Allen, the Boston College defensive end, has played a lot better, but still in a low-value position. Andy Isabella, the second-round pick that Cliff Kingsbury banged the table for, didn't even barely play for this football team. Like, there are still a lot of concerns with how this roster was constructed. There are a lot of concerns with, I think, how the offense is built around Kyler Murray. So much that, if it weren't for this seven-year extension looming for both Kime and Kingsbury, I think we'd be talking about um, you know, the Arizona Cardinals potentially parting ways with either one of these guys or both of these guys. But who knows what will ultimately happen. I, what I do know is no one's betting the Arizona Cardinals plus 1,300 to make the playoffs now. Like, you're not, you're not seeing no. this team bounce back at the second half of the season. So again, it's going to be another season where the Arizona Cardinals miss the playoffs. Cliff Kingsbury doesn't have a postseason win in his career. Like, wh- when are we going to stop creating excuses for these guys? I don't know. What's what's the funniest coaching hire they could make to replace Cliff? And why is it Urban Jeff Meyer? Saturday's brother. Does Jeff Saturday have a brother? I don't know. I I, I don't know what, uh, the funniest coaching. I mean, I'd like to see Sean Payton here. I don't think that's funny. I think that would be sick. Like Sean yeah, Payton with Kyler Murray, I think would be interesting. Because that's the other part of this too. It's like the seven-year extension, I keep bringing it up with Kime and Kingsbury, is not against the cap. And we saw with the Carolina Panthers, they had $40 million due to Matt Rule, and they're still like, yeah, no thanks. We're going to move on. Like, it's not crazy to look at a seven-year contract extension and still fire one of Kime or Kingsbury or even both. But what you're not going to do is move on from Kyler Murray, who they signed to a $250 million extension. Like, that counts against the cap. You can't fuck around with that. Kyler Murray's here whether you like it or not. I don't think Bidwell would would be willing to pay that. But... I wouldn't trust Kime to hire the next head coach. Like, do you look at his track record of hiring coaches? It's really bad. His only good hire was Bruce Arians. And maybe that was nepotism. Maybe that was like bald goatee having nepotism. Like the, the, the second candidate was Stone Cold Steve Austin. That, that makes sense. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I think he's definitely gotten calls. The third one was like that security guard from the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> We're just looking for people that look kind of similar. Yeah. Oh man, that's tough. That's tough. Well, I'm, I'm interested to see what the Arizona Cardinals do this offseason because I think their season's over. Like, I don't think they're making the postseason, and they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to make another hard look in the mirror, talk themselves into again this Kime Kingsbury combo that has failed, absolutely failed to produce on the football field. All right, last team in the I don't know what I'm doing segment, Chicago Bears. I have them at number 26, which I think might be too low given like how good Justin Fields has looked recently. He just broke the regular season rushing record in a single game uh, with 178 yards. The, the, the record he broke, like, go back and watch that Michael Vick game. Like, I think it's funny. I don't often say this when, when, when players break single game records to get, go back and watch the guy he beat. But, like, go watch what Michael Vick was doing in that game. Like, it was dumb. And that, went, went, that game went to overtime. Like, what he did in this game against the Miami Dolphins, and you saw everyone, I think, has seen the Miami Dolphins head coach, Mike McDaniel, like him screaming stop at Justin Fields and then that press conference saying he didn't listen to coaching. He wasn't stopping scrambling. Like this was a really, really crazy game for Justin Fields to be decisive, run the football with efficient, uh, with, with great efficiency and give the Chicago Bears a chance against one of the best, most explosive offenses in the NFL. Now, they still lost this game and they're like still marching on potentially being a team that picks in the top 10 of the NFL draft. But the good news is Justin Fields has played well. And they're starting to cater an offense around his skill set. More good news is losing in week nine should only help them get a better pick in the 2023 draft. And they have $45 million more in cap space in 2023 than any other team in the league. No one's going to bet Chicago at plus 480 to make the 1480 to make the playoffs this year. But man, like 
these are steps in the right direction. I didn't like the Chase Claypool trade. I didn't like moving on from Roquan Smith. But man, Justin Fields playing well and them continuing to march on what should be a very spendy offseason. I don't think that's the right word, but I kind of like it. Spend the offseason. I, I kind of like the Chicago Bears team in 2024 and beyond. Do we think that they are going to spend this offseason? That's my one question. I, I I hope they don't take like the the Ballard route and try to like conserve and just try to build up cap space and build up draft capital. I really hope they put it to good use. I think that's like I, I know like analytics guys are gonna get a lot of shit for hyping up Chris Ballard, but I think like he had the right approach initially when he was collecting resources to build the roster. He just never put them to use. And I don't think even the the analytics people advocate for that style of of team building. I hope that we see an aggressive offseason from this team. I think I hope they they recognize what they do have in Justin Fields. And I, I'm not high on Justin Fields as a passer. I, I think even this last game wasn't that impressive. If anything, it was pretty bad. Uh, but you could build an offense around a runner that skilled. That has been proven time and again, we see it in Philadelphia. Like, I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is that type of quarterback right now, but when he first started, he was a little rough around the edges and they were still able to put together a viable playoff level offense. And I think the Bears, if they can add a couple pieces, improve the offensive line, will be able to do that even if Justin Fields doesn't take a massive leap as a passer. I just hope the front office is willing to take that chance on him. And I know there have been questions about their commitment to him long-term, but we will see this offseason because they have the resources. I, I haven't looked a lot, I got to admit, at the 2023 free agent class, but I think it might be time for Chicago Bears to start looking at the 2023 free agent class, looking at some receivers, looking at some offensive linemen, looking at some support for the Chicago Bears and this offense and seeing what where they can spend and where they can spend appropriately to help start building around him. Why did they not make the Ridley trade? True, true, true. That The, the Jaguars trade for Ridley was objectively better than what the Bears did with Chase Claypool. And I'll say the best receiver trade we've seen after A.J. Brown, obviously, so in season, I think the Chiefs getting Kadarius Toney for like a, a day, late day two, day three picks. Like, he he obviously wasn't panning out in New York. Like, and when I was out there in the locker room uh, in New York, it was like right around week three, like around the, that Cowboys game, like, man, I, I don't like to speculate, but like, man, like, you can just tell that like this was an outcast in the Giants locker room. Like, like, no, like he just was not, he was not a fit for what they were trying to do. And, you know, you talk about him not playing because he was hurt and then immediately playing because he wasn't. Like, I don't know, man. It was a weird relationship that he had with that coaching staff and with those teammates. Now in Kansas City, already seeing snaps in this offense, I think that's probably the best receiver trade we saw in season. That Chase Claypool trade makes no sense. And I hope, as a big Calvin Ridley fan, I think one of the best route runners in the NFL, I hope that he, he pans out in Jacksonville and, uh, you know, kind of recovers from the, uh, obviously, the gambling suspension and all that stuff. One more team I want to bring up, and this isn't in the rundown, so I'm kind of throwing something at you wild and hot. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. Green Bay Packers ranked 20th in the power rankings. I don't want you to answer, are the Green Bay Packers bad, and should they be 20th? They probably could be lower. What I want you to answer is, where does Aaron Rodgers play in 2023? Don't tell me the best, the best bet. Don't tell me odds. or if you, had to, if you had to say where he plays next year, do you think it's Green Bay? Or do you think an Ursay or, uh, you know, one of these GMs, you know, Tepper in Carolina, one of these GMs makes a frantic move for a blue chip name in Aaron Rodgers for a Green Bay Packers team that I think could be looking to move on from him and Rodgers who could be looking to move on from Green Bay. Yeah, I, I don't think it's Green Bay that moves on from him. So I think it's up to to, to Rodgers. Uh, I think he plays in Green Bay next year. 
I, I okay. don't think he. I don't think he wants to go to like Indianapolis, which I that would be my other pick. I would say Indianapolis would would sell out to get him. I think that we've kind of seen them try to rectify mistakes, and they were one of the names that were floated around with Matt Stafford. They obviously didn't pursue him like the other teams did, and I think that Ursay might look back on that and be like, "Oh shit, we're not letting that happen again. Let's give up the farm for Aaron Rodgers." And I do think that that, that I like if they fix the offensive line and add another receiver, I think that move would work out because I think Rodgers could still play a little. I think his problem right now, besides the personnel around him, is the same problem we saw at the end of Mike McCarthy's time in Green Bay, where it's almost like he's playing petulantly, and that's forcing him to miss throws that he didn't used to miss. And because you still see the high level play, like even against the lines, the fourth down to extend the game was an amazing throw, like a second reaction throw, pressure in the pocket, bearing down on him. He has to look all the way to the other side of the field, throws a pass up to uh, Torre, floats it over a, a man defender in tight coverage, perfect pass, under pressure, on fourth down, with the game on the line. Like, he still has that in him. I think down to down is where you see some inconsistency that we didn't see before. But if you get him behind a good offensive line with some good receivers, with with a good coaching staff, and you're in the playoff race, and he trusts the the team around him, I think you'll see something close to what we saw last year. I I think ultimately, if I was a betting man, you gave me even money with every team in the NFL. I'm saying he plays for the Green Bay Packers next season. But I will not be surprised if there is some off-season stir, right? Some reporters, he he said, she said, Rodgers thinking of leaving, Packers exploring options, that kind of stuff. I would not be surprised if some of that happens after this season. And you look at teams like Carolina, Indianapolis, maybe even Washington, like just starting to consider a little, a little Aaron Rodgers in their future just because you know the quarterback situations over there are, are bleak with no, no obvious way out. I mean, in this, I hate to look this far in advance, but in this quarterback class, I think the Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are the two that are talked about the most at the top of the class after that. Will Levis has not looked at maybe as good as people thought. Tanner McKee at Stanford has really struggled. This like there's other guys I think that could go in the first round, but I don't know if it's going to be anywhere near the what looked like on paper a league saving class where five guys went in the first round, including Mac Jones and Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. So I don't know. I think there are going to be some teams that are sniffing around Green Bay, Lambeau Field for what the Rodgers price point might be. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, closing out the show here with Game of the Week. Shame of the week. This is where I highlight the game of the week, which I think will be the biggest game. And then the shame of the week, the one that everyone should watch, even though it's going to be disgusting. The two games I have for you, and I'm interested if you have a a disagreement. Best game next week, even though it's a six and a half point line, Vikings at Bills. 
Vikings are the only one-loss team in the NFL. Bills, obviously, a juggernaut in the AFC, coming off a disappointing loss against the Jets. They are six-and-a-half-point favorites over the Vikings at home. Am I right to highlight, is this one of the bigger games of the week? And, and, and what's your early reaction, early perception of this game? No, I think it's the one that I'm looking forward to the most. And mostly because like, I want to see how Josh Allen looks. There's concerns about his elbow now. He's like kind of true stretching it during the game against the Jets. I don't think that had to do with his per- poor performance. Like the interceptions had nothing to do with his arm. But I want to see, and I also want to see like this Vikings team play a real contender. We haven't really seen that. I know they played the Eagles, but I think like even the Eagles are a little weird because there are question marks about the, the quarterback position. Uh, I don't trust this Vikings team, but I do think like if, if the Vikings are going to be a contender, they should be able to take advantage of a Bills defense that is very good, but I think it's, it's the kind of defense that this type of offense, like the Shanahan type of offense, the McVay type of offense can exploit because there are questions about the, the safety position. I think you can attack the secondary. I think the defensive line is good, but it's also not a moving target. Like they don't, uh, they don't mix up their fronts. They don't mix up their looks. They like just come out and play. And I think for like a McVay or Shanahan type of offense, you can those those systems tend to take advantage of those of those defenses, the static defenses. So I, I think the Vikings have a chance. So I think this is a good measuring stick for both teams. I I want to be wrong about the Minnesota Vikings. I want to be wrong that we shouldn't be buying them as a deep postseason contender because Kirk is still limited on obvious passing situations and they're very predicated on Kevin O'Connell creating open throws. I I want to be wrong about that. But I think in this Bills game, you're going to see some of that. I think you're going to see maybe not the blowout that we saw in primetime against the Eagles, but I do think you're going to see the limitations. You're going to see... You saw the limitations against Washington. Like, if Taylor Heineke wasn't... I love the expression you use, a stuntman quarterback. Like, if, if Taylor Heineke wasn't just a legitimate disaster play to play, the Vikings probably lose that game. Like, that interception that Heineke threw to end, and that game was awful. Yeah. And, and the, I, I think that Minnesota is hanging by a thread in a lot of these games. And I think against the Buffalo Bills, you could see some of the exploitations of the offense in Kirk Cousins. What do we think? Like, let's say Josh Allen's arm is only 90%. And we know that, like, there's, there's much more to his game than that. But we know that's his superpower. Like, that's his thing, is having the rocket arm. What do you think this Bills offense looks like if that's the case for the rest of the year? And this is like a, a, like a nagging injury. Hmm. I still think it's a top five offense in the NFL. I agree. I agree. I, 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 st- I still think that Josh Allen's probably the second best quarterback in the NFL at 90%. Honestly, I think that's how, that's how different him and Mahomes are. I, I think there's been, and we're going to get into this later. I have a treat for you at the back end of the show where we talk some quarterbacks because I've seen your Twitter talking MVPs. I, I want to get into some quarterbacks that are vying for that spot with Patrick Mahomes. We'll talk about that later. But man, I, I do think that 90% of Josh Allen, I'm taking him over every other quarterback in the NFL except for uh, for Patrick Mahomes. Um, Herbert's better, but uh, but I agree. I agree. <laughs> the shame of the week, and we don't have to spend too much time on this, but like Jeff Saturday and the Indianapolis Colts going to Las Vegas against the Raiders, who are a six and a half point favorite, where Josh McDaniels has lost three games where they've led by 17 or more points. Like this could be an all time disaster class. If Josh McDaniels loses, I, I, this is not hyperbole. This is not in jest. If Josh McDaniels loses, you have to fire him. You, you, he does not, he, yes. I don't know what to tell you. You can't, you can't lose to an ESPN analyst at head coach on the opposite sideline. That is the peak. What do you do here? 
What? There's a lot of other people, too, who are talking about, like, oh, Jeff Saturday, well, what if he does well? Oh, this is so much for the league, blah, blah, blah. If Jeff Saturday has success as a head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, that, the finger's being pointed at a lot of coaches in this league that are struggling to put together complete game plans and, and win games, especially by leading by 17 points. So Raiders are six-and-a-half-point favorites. I think that's must-watch TV to see, one, what the Colts' offense looks like after essentially hiring an ESPN analyst as coach. And I think we just saw Twitter just announced that he is naming... 30-year-old pass game specialist, assistant quarterbacks coach Parks Frazier as the offensive play caller starting Sunday against the Raiders. So we'll see what he can do. Sure, that's a, a real person. <laughs> I, he exists. He exists. But so that game, I think, is going to be the shame of the league. I agree. I, I do agree. McDaniels gets, uh, like, I don't even think he makes it to the end of the game. If they're not winning at halftime by at least a touchdown, fire him at halftime. Honestly. No, I'm serious. I, I, I don't think this would be one of the more embarrassing losses this will be the most embarrassing loss of the season for the Raiders if they lose. I'm betting them at minus six. I think they're a good teaser leg if you want to take down the six-point teaser. I know teasers aren't hitting this year, but still. Like, if the Raiders don't win this game, like, if the Raiders don't win this game, I'd be really surprised. All right. Also, I, I, would, I would want to attend the, the, the owner's dinner before the, the night before the game. That's got to be a wild one with Davis and Ursay. <laughs> that's that's going to be an absolute treat. Oh, man, I wish I was there. All right. Last but not least, usually this is where you come in. Jason Goff leaves. Or no, he doesn't leave. He stays on. We talk about some quarterbacks. I have three quarterbacks I want to discuss with you. Because you're on Twitter defending the rightful take that Patrick Mahomes is the obvious MVP. Now, he is the favorite. If you look at FanDuel, he is the favorite to win the MVP award. So that makes 100% sense. However, there are a lot of fans that are vying for two, three other guys. Josh Allen's in the mix, but you know, after losing to the Jets, he's going to fall down in, in the rankings. Lamar Jackson, who I think has a legitimate case, Tua Tungavailoa and Jalen Hurts, who I don't think have legitimate cases. Let's walk through those three quarterbacks, how they've played this year, and honestly, your positioning on where they are in the MVP race, and also how much each offense, respectively, is helping them. Because starting with Jackson, we've talked about this before, Great Roman's doing nothing for this guy. He's 100% of this offense. He's the only thing that stirs the drink, and the Ravens are only deep playoff competitive because of him. That's my take. It's so funny that like the running game has all these moving parts to it. Like the, you, you have Patrick Ricard, you have multiple tight ends come on the field. You have like pistol formations, crowded backfields. And the only time that any of the run plays work is when Lamar is like reading. It's like an option play. Like none of the other plays, the running plays work at all with all these moving parts. The offense is bad. The running game is good at the expense of the passing game because of everything they have to do personnel wise and formation wise to run that run game. I, I did not watch the Ravens game live last night. I watched it this morning. And my takeaway was, holy shit, Lamar Jackson. Like, why wasn't there more talk about how good Lamar was last, last night? I have not seen the film. So this is based off broadcast. But it was one of the more impressive quarterback performances I've seen this year. Every throw was contested. The pockets were not clean, but he avoided the pressure. Every run play, his gravity was apparent. Like, the, the touchdown run the short touchdown run around the goal line, like you never see that big of a lane for a running back on a goal line run, but you saw it because Lamar Jackson was on the field. The throws were, you know, like he missed two throws maybe, and those throws stand out because those are the only times he really has an open receiver to throw to. So I, I think like his misses get highlighted more because you don't, he doesn't get a, a big margin for error. Whereas like Tua, for instance, come on now, we all watch the game on Sunday. He, he cost Jalen Waddle a touchdown. He cost Tyreek Hill a touchdown on the first drive, although they did get a pass interference because the throw was so bad. He cost uh, Tyreek another touchdown on a wheel route where Tyreek dusted his man. There was no one in between him and the end zone. 
and the ball just dies in midair. And it turns into a 20-yard gain instead of a 70-yard gain. That's the difference between him and his numbers and Lamar and his numbers. It's, I don't know. I, I, if you have eyes and you watch both of these players play and you could throw Jalen Hurts into that Tua category, it's not even a contest. It, it just looks different. It just looks different. It looks like they're playing two different sports. I don't think you can watch all three quarterbacks and specifically all three offenses and not come away with the, the takeaway that it is Lamar Jackson is far and away the biggest elevator of the scheme and the talent that the offense has. Whereas Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Hurts, I think both have played well this year. That it's not mutually exclusive. Like not in the right, MVP yes. conversation and playing like shit. It's not like it's not like it's not that. Tua Tagovailoa is playing well. Watch the deep throws. <laughs> like like there was that. To a comment, I think in a press conference where he's like, got better on the deep throws, huh? And there was a little sarcasm there, but like, watch the right. deep throws. Like, he's still underthrowing <laughs> these balls. And like, yes, there's pass interferences. Yes, he's giving his guy a chance. And there's like ways to talk your way into those deep throws. They're still not good. And with Jalen Hurts, you, you mentioned it earlier. Like, I watched, you mentioned earlier that there's questions at the quarterback position with the Eagles. Expand on that. What are you seeing? Because like, when you look at it from an EPA per drop back perspective, after week three, Hurts has been middle of the pack in terms of efficiency. Uh, that's EPA per dropback. What have you seen? Not necessarily change with Jalen Hurts, but what 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 should be the national the, the national perspective on Jalen Hurts beyond he's an eight he's eight no he's eight no he's eight no he's on the best team in football. I think the difference is the ball placement has been more inconsistent. It's something I pointed out on Twitter a lot to Eagles fans who are just grilling me for not having them even higher than tenth. But I, I I still think he leaves a lot of meat on the bones. There are a lot of throws that are there that he just doesn't make. It's the throws that he doesn't make along with those ball, that ball placement question. Uh, it's, it's still happening. It's not happening as much as, as it did in the past. So there's progress there. And I think Eagles fans should be excited about where he's going as a quarterback because this is every year now that he's getting better and better and better. There's clear improvement every single year. Going back to his time at Alabama even, I, you could say the same thing about Lamar Jackson. But I think... Eventually, in three years, I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Hurts is almost like a, a Dak Prescott type of quarterback because there is there's a clear understanding of football when you watch his film. Like he does stuff before the snap. They give him a lot of of responsibility before the snap to change calls, to check to runs, to change protections. I don't think the post snap load is very heavy. For him, I think there are a lot of basic concepts to make it easier on him. And you could do that when you have a lot of talent, when you have an offensive line. And I do think he also contributes to that because he is such a threat in the run game. I, I don't want to take the credit that he deserves away from him. I just don't want to give him more credit than he deserves. He's just not an MVP candidate. And it's apparent when you watch him on film. It's apparent that he is not the best player on that team. I would argue that, that uh, Jason Kelsey is more important to that offense right now. Than Jalen Hurts. I think that you're ending this show on what a lot of the conversation on this podcast feed and on a lot of other podcast feeds is when when analyzing and discussing the NFL is trying to look at everything but record to evaluate the best players, the best teams, all of that. And I think that's what this power rankings file is. That's what this podcast is. That's what a lot of the analysis is every single week. The easy way out. And I've been I've been someone that takes easy way out on a lot on the power rankings file. <coughs> cough, cough. Minnesota Vikings at five. It's easier to say the Vikings are the second best team in the NFC because they have the second best record in the NFC. Because Vikings fans are going to like slit your throat in your sleep. The harder against the grain analysis is to say no. Jalen Hurts on the eight no Eagles isn't as good, 
or isn't as much in the MVP conversation as Lamar Jackson, who, yes, has lost three games. Because you have to sift through more things than the record. You have to sift through more things than the final scores of games, which when you look at ranking what fans care about uh, of any data point or any like piece of evidence in the world, in terms of evaluating their team. Wins is number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They don't care if the whole team is terrible. As long as they're winning games, they're able to talk themselves into how any quarterback's playing, how any player's playing, et cetera. For me, it's one of the last things, and I've said this a ton of times on this podcast, it's one of the last things you look at. How to actually evaluate player performance and, and team performance and strength, team strength, going into a postseason or going into certain games, you have to look at much more things than the record, or else the teams that have more wins would always be favored, or the teams that always have more wins would always be, the Jets have more wins than the Bengals and have worse odds to make the playoffs. Why? Because team record isn't as important as how <laughs> yes. good the fucking team is. Like, that's that's how it works. That's how this works. Let's bring Pat Mahomes into this now. And I, I, yes. I want to take Lamar Jackson out of the equation because I, I think that's just a separate case because Lamar Jackson's numbers aren't where Tua's, Jalen Hurts, and Patrick Mahomes are. So I think it's a different conversation with him. Let, and let's give proper credit to those two players on it, for what they're doing in their offenses, which are very good. Tua is the key to the RPO game, which is the foundation of the early down offense for the Dolphins. He gets rid of the ball quickly on those on those uh, RPOs. He uses his eyes to manipulate players. He's, he's making like no-look throws a lot. And he gets the ball out quick on, in quick game, and he's accurate. Now, Jalen Hurts, he is a creative force for that offense. Like when things break down, he can get outside of the pocket and create. He is involved in the run game. He also runs the RPOs. And he throws a beautiful deep ball. I am not denying that. Now, go back and list all of those things I just said about those two quarterbacks. They all apply to Patrick Mahomes. And then he adds exactly. everything else that Patrick Mahomes does. He's do You drop him into either of those offenses and records are being shattered. Records are being shattered. Tyreek Hill might have... 1500 yards right now and i know it's easy to say oh he played with tyreek hill and that didn't happen uh, here's a here's a hot take for you andy reed overrated now he's been coasting off his reputation for two years man wow it, it, watch that offense this year this year in particular i think because last year i think pat wasn't as good as he has been this year i think there were the the criticisms of his game last year were somewhat valid like not the the Spotrack guy uh, posting his contract. Now that was ridiculous. But like he he wasn't he wasn't getting the most out of that offense. This year is totally different, and I don't even think the scheme is really helping him. I think having Travis Kelsey is helping him, but those receivers are those are are replacement players, and I don't mean they're like replacement level players. I think that you could find a lot of players to come in and replicate what Juju Smith Schuster is doing for them. You could find a lot of players who replicate what MVS has done for them. I don't know about uh, Hardman because he's more unique, but I think you can find another speedster. Mahomes just makes it all work, man. He's, they're putting like highly difficult throws on the backside of concepts that only Mahomes and Allen can make, and he's making them consistently. And that's what's keeping this offense, which doesn't really have a deep threat right now. He's not pushing the ball more than 20 yards downfield a, a whole lot. But defenses can't come in and sit on short stuff because he's so good at the, the mid-range game right now. It, this is Michael Jordan, the second act of Michael Jordan's Bulls career. <laughs> I, I, I did this on the island with Nora Princiati talking about, I think it was tw he, uh, Patrick Mahomes throwing 5 to 15 yards downfield in 2021. 
was 29th in EPA per attempt. This year, he's first by a country mile. He has elevated throwing to that level of the field because it's because the offense has called for it, right? It's because Tyreek Hill isn't on this football team anymore. Uh, I think it's 100 fewer completions of 20-plus air yards through Week 9 have happened this year compared to last year. People are calling more too high coverages. I think at 40% of early downs, teams are calling too high coverages. Like, you are trying to stop deep balls. Patrick Holmes said, guess what? I'll change that. And he changed to this money mid-range Michael Jordan-esque thing. And the, the my favorite stat is... This offense, led by Patrick Mahomes, and you just called Andy Reid overrated, 1.2 EPA per drive. The second team in the NFL is the Buffalo Bills, averaging 0.6 EPA per drive. They are double the second best team in, in EPA per drive. Like, they are a cheat code, an absolute cheat code, and so much of that is Patrick Mahomes. You insert any other quarterback into this offense, you are every single week being like, wow, they lost Tyree Kill. Juju Smith-Schuster doesn't have it. Clyde Edwards-Solaire was a bust. Orlando Brown Jr. allowing a lot of pressure. The only reason you're not bringing up how bad this supporting cast is is because of Patrick Mahomes. And again, that's why the MVP conversation is moot right now. I think it's Mahomes and, and, and nobody else. I'm going to end the podcast with this, Steve. We're running up on an hour. Parks Frazier, the new offensive play caller, play caller for the Indianapolis Colts, he's 30 years old, was a grad assistant for Arkansas State in 2017. Guess who the officiant of his wedding was? It was Frank Reich. Am I surprised? Am I surprised? No. Relationships <laughs> off the field drive the entire NFL. Drive the entire NFL. You're going to tell me Frank Reich's going to be the officiant at a dude's wedding and then fire him a little bit later? No. Like, he was the assistant to the head coach for the last three years. since 2018 or four years. Why? These relationships, man. It's a relationships league. You better get Frank Reich to officiate your wedding if you want to stick around. Like, I mean, I don't know. That's not, we don't know about Parks Frazier, but I'm just not surprised. I'm not surprised that so much of the NFL is continually driven by these, these off-the-field relationships and who's who's the best to have a beer with or, or who who has the same dad as me or I'm on me and all that stuff is all so much of it. Thank you so much for listening. The boys have been buzzing all day long on this podcast. I'm excited to go through it. Make sure you listen to the rest of this feed, The Island on Wednesdays with Nora Princiati, The Scramble on Thursdays with Shil Kapadia, and then also The Ringer Preview Show, Ruiz joins back. Benjamin Solak, Danny Heifetz. Big shout out. Big thank yous to our producers, Connor Nevins, Arjuna Ramkapal, and Carlos Chiraboga. Until next time, Austin Gale, Steve Weiss, hopefully Jason Goff. I don't know. I don't know where he's at, but hopefully him. The Power Rankers Show. Power Rankers.